Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, verse 14. The title of our message this morning is Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. We'll not read the text immediately, but we'll get to it as we progress in the message. We've spent the last few weeks looking at the great sentence of praise that we find in the first 14 verses in the first chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. And you maybe feel that we're moving very slow through this text. But if you feel that way, you should know that the late Welch preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was already on sermon... 26 in his study of Ephesians by the time he reached these verses. We're only on week number 9. This is only sermon number 9. He was on sermon 26 by the time he got to verse 13. So we're moving more rapidly than he did. But I told you there was a lot in these verses. So far we've seen that the Father designed and planned our salvation. That God, for some reason unknown to us, snatched us from the fire of judgment that we deserved. He changed our hearts so we could come to believe in Him. He called us to be holy and blameless in His sight. We've seen that the Son carried out the Father's plan, that Jesus died in our place for our sins so that our account might be paid in full. We have seen that Christ redeemed us and that not only did He pay our debt, He restored us to a healthy and vibrant relationship with God. He redeemed us and reconciled us to God the Father. But this morning we're going to see that the Holy Spirit also had a role to play in our salvation and still has a role to play in our life. That the Holy Spirit is very actively working in our lives even today. Paul, he gives us two very important benefits that come from the Spirit of God in our text. First of all, he tells us that the Holy Spirit secures our salvation. And as I thought about it this morning, it was a little too late to make changes, but a better way to word this is that the Holy Spirit gives us security in our salvation. Look at verse number 13. It says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The entire process of salvation is explained in this verse. It tells how the sinner becomes a saint. First of all, it says you have to hear the gospel of salvation and you have to know it to be true. Before a person can ever be saved, they have to hear the gospel. They have to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection and know it to be true. But then you have to believe the gospel message and put your faith in Christ and then you are saved and then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now understand that believing in Jesus Christ for salvation and being sealed with the Holy Spirit aren't two separate events. There are some great preachers, Charles Spurgeon was one of them, that thought it was two separate events. But the text does not say that. The text tells us that when you believe, you are sealed with the Spirit. At the moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He indwells you forever and immediately you are sealed, not by the Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit. That's what the text says. And so we want to talk about what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
In biblical days, a seal could mean four different things, and Paul has all four things in mind. And if you want to take these down, there's four blanks there on your page that you can fill in. First of all, it was a sign of authenticity. In the ancient world, a seal was a form of identification used to authenticate and protect legal documents. A uniquely designed stone worn on a ring or necklace was used to mark clay or wax on a document. And so a seal makes something official or authentic. If it has the official seal on it, you know that it's genuine. If you've ever had to get an official transcript from a school or an official copy of your birth certificate, it had to have the official seal on it to be valid. Or if you've ever gone to a notary public, they'll authenticate your signature on an important document by stamping it with a seal. We know what it is to have something sealed and stamped represent its authenticity. Well, for us as believers, the Holy Spirit is the seal of authenticity. The Holy Spirit assures us that we are His children. Paul said in Romans 8 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Listen, without the Holy Spirit living, you aren't living inside of you. You aren't a child of God. If the Holy Spirit of God has not taken up residence in your life, you are not a child of God. You are not a genuine believer. You've never been born again if the Spirit of God is not inside of you. And so the Holy Spirit is uh, inside of us to authenticate that we belong to the family of God. Paul would write this in Romans 8.16 that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so the Holy Spirit gives us an inner assurance and testifies to us that we belong to God for time and eternity. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the seal that gives us assurance that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we are sons and daughters, and we are His now and forever. You see, when we trust in Christ, God stamps His seal of approval on us and it reads that we are His, that we belong to His kingdom, and we are a member of His divine family. But secondly, it is a sign of ownership. Not only a sign of authenticity, but a sign of ownership. The seal marked out property or documents as belonging to the one who put His seal upon it. If a king put his seal on a letter... It represented that, hey, that letter, that document belonged to me. How many has ever seen the old westerns on TV where they brand cattle? Well, that's the same thing. That brand on that cattle represents this cattle belongs to me. They're my property. They're my possession. Well, it was the same thing in biblical days. When they put a seal on something, it represented, hey, this belongs to me. This is my possession. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's seal on the believers showing that you are no longer your own. You see, God purchased us with the blood of Jesus Christ and now you belong to Him and there's nobody that can take you from Him. Write this reference there on your notes. I didn't, I didn't print it out, but I put it in my notes later. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You see, you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And now you belong to Him and nobody can take you from Him. And so a seal is a sign that you belong to God. And you can't be taken from Him. 
The Holy Spirit marks us as God's possession. And we are His not only for now, but for eternity. But thirdly, a seal is a sign of a finished transaction. Even today, when important legal documents are processed, they are stamped with the official seal to signify the completion of the transaction. And so when we've been saved, we've been purchased by Jesus Christ, and guess what the deal is done? Jesus paid the price in full, and the Holy Spirit in our lives reminds us that it is finished. Hear me. There's nothing else we can do and nothing else we need to do. Jesus paid the price in full. That's why on the cross He uh, lifted up His head and said, It is finished, and He gave up the ghost. Why? Because He did it in full. And there's nothing else we can do and nothing else we ought to do. He paid for it in full. It's finished. And listen, there may be times of backslide, there may be times we sin, and in those moments we need to confess our sin, turn from our sin, and receive God's forgiveness. But listen, you don't need to be saved again. Why? Because it's finished. Let, let, let me just get out here on a little bit of a rabbit trail for a minute. I get fed up when I hear the terminology of being saved again. Because you don't find it in the Bible. You don't find it in the Bible, being saved again. And the terminology, losing your salvation. You don't find that terminology in the Bible. We're warned against falling away. Apostatizing. Listen, I believe believers can fall. And they'll get back up. I believe that there's people that apostatize. But they never knew him to begin with. They pretended to know him. But I believe that those that know him, we are kept by the power of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has sealed us unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30. That's why Paul said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. When's the day of redemption? Well, Jesus comes back, isn't it? And if I'm sealed unto the day of redemption, what changes it? If I'm sealed unto then, what changes it? Nothing changes it, does it? Sounds like I'm secure, doesn't it? And again, I know the, the argument is when you give people license to sin, no, not, not if you understand who you are in Him. You don't go out and just sin. I can't. I don't want to. Again, like Peter, there's times we fall, but we get back up. Why? Because I'm in Him. As long as the Holy Spirit won't let me just go out and sin. When I do sin, he's grieved. And he works on me to straighten me out. Does that make sense? He's grieved. But you have to understand, he don't just pack up and leave. But the Bible does warn us. That's why sometimes it does warn us about falling away. So that you examine your life. 
That's why the warnings are there. So you examine your life to see whether you are in the faith. That makes sense. You see, when you understand it biblically, you don't play around with the grace of God. Because here's what, let me just say this. Here's how some people want to treat salvation. I got my ticket to get out of hell. And now I can do whatever I want to. That is a gross misrepresentation of salvation. I got my ticket, now I can do what I want to. But that's not salvation. I prayed the prayer, and I'm good to go. That's not salvation. Salvation is Jesus has come into your life, and He has changed you, and you become a new creature, and you have a divine nature inside of you to where now you want to follow Him and live for Him. And if that's how you want to live, and how you want, you want to serve Him, and listen, even when you fall, you still love Him, and you want to please Him. That's how you know you are saved. Because even when Peter fell, he wept bitterly because he knew he had displeased God. And he sought repentance in Christ. You see, that was the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas was sorry for what he did, and he threw the money in the temple, but he didn't seek repentance in Christ. And that's why he hung himself. Peter sought repentance in Christ. And that's the difference. Let me say this and I'll move on. There's really only two types, two types of people in this world. Faith people and unsafe people. That's it. Safe people and unsafe people. There's safe people that, that, that can be in a backslidden condition. That they're not walking as they ought to walk right now. But they're safe nonetheless. But let me say this on the flip side. There's unsafe people that think they're safe. That, that's that's an awful place to be as well. Both of them's awful places to be. To be saved and be in a out of fellowship with God. That's miserable. Because you, you ain't gonna have no assurance of salvation. You're gonna feel like you lost. But then to be unsaved and think you're saved. Miserable way to live. Let me, let me give, give you the fourth sign of a seal. It's a sign of security. And this is where this idea of the Holy Spirit making us secure in salvation comes in. Well, all of them really makes the, the argument. But a seal in Bible days made something secure. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, King Darius, along with his lords, placed their seal on the stone over the entrance to the den so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. You find that in Daniel 6, verse 17. Any person but the king who disturbed that seal would most likely have lost his life. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, you'll find that the Roman guards sealed the tomb of Jesus so that no one could steal his body. And most likely, they placed a rope across the stone that locked the entrance and they secured both ends with wax and stamped it with their Roman seal. They made it secure, is what the Bible says. Also, a letter or legal document was sealed with wax and stamped with a special seal so that the recipient could be sure that it had not been tampered with. 
they made it secure and they sealed it. And so here's the thing, when you trusted in Christ, God sealed you with the Holy Spirit, making your salvation secure, and there's no one who can break God's seal. You've been marked with the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. See, because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we're safe and secure because we're part of a finished transaction. According to John 14, verse 16 and 17, the Holy Spirit abides with us as believers forever. That's what Jesus told His disciples. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and He'll abide with you forever. And I want you to understand that. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. He doesn't leave when we mess up. He abides forever. That's why you get convicted when you sin. Because He stays. Listen, if He, if he left every time we sin, how will we ever change? Think about it. If he checked out every day, how would I ever know to do right? I couldn't change, could I? But if he abides forever, I believe it means forever. Again, we might grieve him through sin and disobedience, but nevertheless, he stays. Paul tells us in verse 14 of our text that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. That when we place our trust in Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit who serves as a guarantee of our salvation. You see, our salvation is certain, our inheritance is certain, and we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee on it. What he tells us in verse verse 14, and we'll read it in a moment when we get to point two. But the word guarantee there, it can mean that it is an engagement ring. The Spirit is in effect our engagement ring that shows that we belong to Christ until our wedding day, the day we go to be with Him forever. Think about that. What does the Bible refer to the church as? Bride. He's the bridegroom. And when He put the Holy Spirit inside of us, it's as though he slipped the engagement ring on our finger saying, hey, you belong to me, and I'm coming back for you. Now here's the thing, we understand that when we pop the question, men, to our women, we could have broke off the engagement. Can I tell you, God doesn't break the engagement. God doesn't break His promises. If He says, I'm coming back to my church, I'm coming back to my bride, guess what, Brother Lynn? He's coming back for His bride. And if you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're part of the bride. And He's coming back. We've been engaged to Him, Brother Tommy. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the guarantee that our salvation is secure. That our inheritance belongs to us. We can rest assured that he will come and claim His bride because He's given us His promise and His Spirit as the engagement ring. Listen, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are here. Signed, sealed, and delivered. And this is important. I want you to understand what I'm about to say in the next few moments before we move on. It is important that you understand that being sealed with the Holy Spirit makes you secure in Christ. 
Because there's a lot of people that mistakenly believe that we're saved by God's grace and then staying saved is up to us. That's how I grew up most of my life, believing that I'm saved by grace, but staying saved is up to me. But listen to me, God doesn't make us new in Christ and then say, okay, now it's up to you. If that was the case, I'd be in big trouble. And I think most of you would say the same thing. If God, listen, if God left everything totally up to you from now on to get to heaven, do you really think you can make it? And I want us to, do you think you can make it? I don't, I don't think any of us would be that proud and arrogant to say, oh, I can make it. Because we can't. Because here's the thing, we couldn't reach salvation on our own. So what makes us think we can go the rest of the way on our own? And I know I'm slowing down a little bit this morning and kind of teaching and digging into this, but you've got to understand. If you couldn't reach Jesus to be saved on your own, what makes you think you can reach glorification on your own? If I could have reached them on, Brother Dennis, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But the concept in, in, in a lot of churches, especially Pentecostal churches, holiness churches, is I'm saved by grace, but now I stay saved by my effort. Listen, salvation produces good things. It produces fruit. That in no way adds to what? To your salvation. That in no way adds brownie points to God. And if in any way you trust in what you do to get to heaven, you're trusting in the wrong thing. Let me just suggest a book to you that I began reading just, just a day or so ago. It's called The Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson, I believe it is. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm an imperfect disciple. I'm a lot like Peter sometimes. How many can relate? And that's why desperately sometimes I have to keep preaching the gospel to myself and keep clinging to Jesus. Because I understand my failures and my faults. Because I understand the gospel is for, for people who don't have it all together. The gospel is for people who don't have their act together. Let me say it this way. The gospel is for losers and mess-ups. That's me. But if you walk around thinking, oh, I, I, I don't need it. I, I don't need any help. And I, don't, I, I, I can make it without it. Well, then you don't qualify for the gospel. And there's a lot of people that once they come to Jesus and they, and they get their sins forgiven, they, they kind of adopt that attitude of the Pharisee, oh, I, I'm good to go now. 
and, and they act like the Pharisee in the temple while the sinner's over there beating, won't even look up to heaven and he beats his chest, oh God be merciful to me a sinner. And listen, that's the attitude you need to always have, God be merciful to me a sinner. Because here's the thing, even though you've experienced Jesus, you're still a sinner. Up. It's only by His grace that we make it. It's only by the help of the Holy Spirit that we've been sealed with that we're going to keep on moving forward. Let me give you this second point. I want to close. Holy Spirit secures our salvation, but number two, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of what is to come. These points go hand in hand, but verse 14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Notice that. He, he is the guarantee of our inheritance. Notice that word guarantee. It refers to a deposit or down payment. In Paul's day, it meant the down payment to guarantee the final purchase of some commodity or piece of property. Even today, you'll hear a real estate agent talk about earnest money. How many ever heard that term, earnest money? You buy a car, you've got to put down some earnest money. You buy a house, you've got to put down some earnest money. Why? They're not just going to give you the house. They're not just going to give you the car. You've got to put down some earnest money, a down payment. To show your sincerity, that your, your, your seriousness about buying the house, buying the car. The first installment of many to come. That's what it is. That's the idea. This is the first payment guaranteeing, hey, there's going to be a second payment, a third payment. Hey, there's more to follow. So here's the idea about, behind what Paul's saying. The Holy Spirit is the first payment guaranteeing, hey, there's more to come. I'm giving you a taste of what's to follow. That's the idea. The guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the person. Think of all the great things you've experienced so far in your walk with God. The blessings of the Holy Spirit, the encounters you've had with Him so far. That's just a foretaste of coming glory. It's going to be multiplied a million times over. And you get to heaven. That's what Paul said. Had the Holy Spirit being sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's just the first installment of what God has waiting on you. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like after what we've already experienced in this life of walking with Him? Imagine just the first minute in heaven, Brother Thomas. The first ten years, the first decade, the first hundred years. Can imagine. What this verse is saying is more time. And the Holy Spirit's the down payment guaranteeing there's more to come. The guarantee of our miracle. The guarantee of coming glory. The Holy Spirit's a teaspoon that guarantees. God's going to come back and reveal more to us. He's the down payment of that future day. Pastor Kent Hughes, he wrote these words. 
imagine the sublimest, most treasured experiences of the Holy Spirit we have ever had and then realize they are only a foretaste, the tip of the tongue on the spoon of what is to come. Remember the release in coming to Christ and knowing you were forgiven. Remember that time when in worship you were smitten with awe. Remember the time you followed the Spirit's leading and were wonderfully used. Remember the satisfaction of finding the fruit of the Spirit surprising you with goodness where you once responded wickedly. Think of all this and then multiply it a million fold. Here on earth we have experienced the first dollar of a million celestial dollars in the flow. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 and 10. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things just to be. There's much more that comes, and the Holy Spirit is the down payment and the guarantee of what is to come. What we're experiencing here is a taste of what is to come. Just imagine what we're going to experience. And we go with God. In closing, as we close out this section, verses 3 through 14, I want to give you three great truths. Number one, true riches come from God. As we summarize these verses, don't you understand? True riches come from God. You see, it gives me great encouragement to know that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working on my behalf to make me rich. All three are involved. All three are involved in your salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. All three are involved in the blessings we receive. And I want to say that in Christ we have what money can't buy. You can't put a price on what you and I have in Christ. Number two, all of these riches come by God's grace and for God's glory. Everything we have, it comes by God's grace and for God's glory. If you were to go back and read verse 3 through 14, you'll notice that after each of the main sections in these verses, Paul has added the purpose behind these gifts. Why has God the Father chosen us, adopted us, and accepted us to the praise of the glory of His grace? Why has the Son redeemed us, forgiven us, revealed God's will to us, and made us part of God's inheritance that we should be to the praise of His glory? Why has God the Spirit sealed us and become the guarantee of our inheritance to the praise of His glory? It's all about God's glory. It's all about bringing honor and praise to Him. You see, we often have the idea that God saves sinners because He pities them or wants to rescue them from eternal judgment. But God's main purpose in saving sinners is that He be glorified. Think about that. It's not because He has compassion. It's because He wants glory. Let me just ask this. Are you living your life now that He has saved you for His glory? That's why He saved you. To the praise of His glory. To bring honor to Him. That's why He redeemed us. To show forth His praise. Number three, these riches are only the beginning. See, there's always more spiritual wealth to claim from the Lord as we walk with Him. The Bible is our guidebook. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And as we search the Word of God, we discover more and more of the riches we have in Christ. These riches were planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and presented by the Spirit. There really is no need for us to live in poverty when all of God's wealth is at our disposal. 
By faith, we can claim God's promises and draw on His limitless wealth to meet every need. We faith, face. We're blessed. We're blessed. His blessings flow from the Godhead, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. We're all involved. And our response will be worship and praise. Would you stand with me?